Good morning, Foothill Church. My name is Jeff Terrell. I'm a covenant partner here. I serve uh, in tech in the back uh, and with Foothill Kids. So happy Father's Day. I was going to make a bad dad joke about an umbrella, but I'm afraid it go over your head. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. All those men over 30, you're welcome. All right. Let's get to the good stuff. Today, we're go- our scripture is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. You may be seated. Just a few moments ago, Lucas stood up here and said to you what we say every week, right? And some of you could recite it with us. Why do we exist? We exist to glorify God by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Rooted in the gospel, right? Okay, so what are we saying, right? In some ways, what, what we're saying is we believe that God is glorified when people through the gospel come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and they grow in that. Right? That's what we want to see happen more than anything at Foothill Church. But leading people doesn't mean that what we mean are just, hey, the people who gather here, it's all about you, and it's just, you know, us four and no more, and we're kind of insular. No, we, we want to see beyond ourselves, right? We want to go, the, the leading of people are people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, our friends. We, we want to see those people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, Right? Paul's going to tell us, Paul says that essentially the gospel has a centrifugal and a centripetal force, right? That is that it draws us in and there's this, all this sort of one another commitment language we see in scripture, but then it sends us out, right? And that is that we go to evangelize and see more and more people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul could have ended Uh, Colossians in chapter 4, verse 1. Do you remember what we ended with last week? It was like Paul saying, okay, here's what it looks like for you to, to, to be faithful Christians, to live under the rule of Christ. And he takes it home and says, okay, inside your home, fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and children and masters and servants and all these things, this is what it looks like for Christ to rule in your life. We could have stopped there. But the rule of Christ doesn't stop there, right? The rule of Christ actually flings us out into the culture and says there's more to be done. We are not finished until the world has heard about Jesus Christ, comes into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that's really easy, I think, for us, especially as Westerners, especially as Americans, to, to outsource the missional part of our faith, Right, that is what we do is hey, I can send money to a church planter and we can send a missionary and other people, professionals can go do the job for us. But Paul's not gonna let us do that. Paul's essentially gonna say today, as Christ flings us out into the culture, as that centripetal force takes us out beyond our walls, out of our home, we have a responsibility to play. It is our job to make sure that people hear about Jesus. I know this makes us nervous. Like, what does that mean? We have a responsibility to help people hear and understand the gospel. And and this is what I want you to see today, right? Listen, 
Church, I, I hope you know by now, like we want to plant churches and we want to send missionaries. We want to do all these things that God has called us to do. But you know what I hope we'll do? I, I hope we'll sort of renew our focus on something that we will look around even in church today and even as we come, you know, back and forth every single week and go, who's not here? Which one of my neighbors, which one of my family, which one of my coworkers, friends, would I love to have sitting here because they don't know Jesus Christ? Can you imagine if that were to happen to us? You were sitting here with neighbors and families and friends and, co- and coworkers, those people that you know that you rub shoulders with. I think this is what Paul is getting after is what it looks like for us to go out and to see those people come to faith. How can we, how could the Colossians do this in their culture? I think this is part of what Paul's answering for us in these verses. If I were to sort of put it into a question, I think Paul's saying this, what can a small group of ordinary Christians do to make sure that the community around them hears about Jesus Christ? Here's the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. That's what these verses are all about, okay? And so, so let's walk, because I think Paul gives us a simple answer. This is not, I'm not going to give you a program for evangelism today. I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, here's, here's how you go and share your faith. I think you're going to be surprised at how simple this is. And I would say this, it is so simple that there isn't a person in this room that should not be able to do this or be intimidated by it. This is not some weird, I've got to go and try to get all these answers in my head before I can go talk to people. Here's what I want you to see. Paul gives us essentially this two parts to evangelism, two parts to being flung out into the culture. How is it that we're going to see our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Paul's going to say there's really just two parts to this. We speak to God about people and we speak to people about God in that order, in that order, okay? So watch this. We speak to God about people. Now, this is verses two through four, right? What's happening, right? I think Paul's telling us pray, and we should pray, and we should pray about all kinds of things, right? There's nothing that's off limits when it comes to pray, prayer, but I think in the context of what Paul's doing, he's just told us this is what home looks like. Now he's gonna say, get out into the world, right? And as you get out, pray, and pray that some things happen, right? And so, so, so I think he's telling us that the most important task in all of evangelism is that we first and foremost give the priority to prayer. Lewis Ferry Chafer was the founder of the seminary that I attended. And um, he wrote a book called He That Is Spiritual. I'll never forget this. In my first year of seminary, them showing us this. And I've never forgotten this quote He said this, he said, intercessory prayer is the first and all important task in evangelism. The divine order is to talk to God about men until the door is definitely open to talk to men about God. That's that's it right there, right? That, That is the priority of evangelism. Should you pray about all kinds of things? Yes, but we pray and we pray for those who are far from God. Let me ask you something. When's the last time, you don't have to answer this out loud, when's the last time you prayed specifically by name for somebody who is far from God? And maybe you think, well, I used to pray for this person or that person and they didn't come to faith and so I stopped doing it. 
Well, this is what I want you to see. Let's start walking through this passage. I hope you'll open your Bible with me or your Bible app. Put your finger there in chapter 4, verse 2. And we're pretty much just going to walk through this almost word by word. Okay, ready? Just just put your finger there. And I want you to see there's a few things that Paul's going to tell us about prayer in verses 2 through 4. First of all, he's going to say what? Pray constantly. It's a command, right? You see that in verse 2? Continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, pray constantly. I don't think this means, you know, every part of your day. I think it means pray and don't give up praying. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 18, he tells the parable of the persistent widow who he says, and it's a parable. And he says, and it says before he tells that parable, it says he told this parable to his disciples so that they would learn to pray and never give up. They would just keep going back in prayer again and again and again and again, right? This is what we're being asked to do. What can a small band of Christians do in a community where it feels like it's increasingly hostile? They don't love the Jesus we love. They don't do the things we do. They don't act the way, talk the way we do. We're different. What can we do? Cram our our, our beliefs down people's throat. You've got to behave like we do. Or can we pray? That's what Paul's saying. The first and most important task is prayer. Can you imagine what do we believe, first of all, in the power of prayer? And can you imagine what God might do if we would genuinely, consistently, steadfastly pray for those who are far from God? Can I just challenge you to do something even right now while I'm preaching? That as we talk about this, just start making a list of people that you know who are far from God. In fact, let me suggest something that you make a list of some of the most impossible people you can think of. Because this is what we do, right? Nah, it never happened. There's no way. They're too far. They're so hostile. What if you prayed? So this is what Paul's saying. Pray, pray constantly, steadfastly. You keep praying and never, never, never give up. Okay? That's the first thing. But notice the second thing. He says, pray watchfully, which is a weird thing, I think. Right? Look what he says. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Right? What does he mean by that? What does this have to do with prayer in general and then evangelistic, if you will, intercessory prayer for somebody else? Right? Because the, the word means to stay alert, to stay awake. It's usually used, like Jesus will use this, this word to refer to like the, the, his second coming. So we want to be alert, we want to be awake. So is he talking about pray in light of the second company, coming? Well, well perhaps that that would be something we probably should do is pray in light. But I think what he's saying is, look at now as you go out, as you leave your homes, as you're in the culture and you are praying and you're praying for these people that God is bringing to mind and these people that you know, you pray continuously and you don't stop, but then watch, be really watchful that God may be doing something in their life. Look for signs of the spirit. Look for a softening where the heart was once hard towards the things of God. Maybe they're becoming more curious. Maybe they're asking more questions and you lean into that. Okay, God, and don't stop praying. God, it seems like their heart's becoming more open Lord, would you, would you finish what it seems you're starting, right? That's what he's talking about. This is the kind of watchfulness, this alertness that we come as we, we, we don't become complacent in our prayers. We, we, we look for the sign and we say, Lord, keep going, keep going. Push into their hearts. Give me an opportunity perhaps. 
We pray, we pray constantly, we pray watchfully. But third, look at that, we pray thankfully. He says, do that with thanksgiving. Okay, now look, let's go back just for a second because thanksgiving has been a theme throughout this. He keeps saying over and over and do this with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, right? And be thankful and be thankful, right? Over and over again. So in the context of this, as you look out and you see that that, that people are, are, there seems to be a softening. God seems to be doing something. You're you're saving people, whether or not they're the people on my list or not. God, I see you're doing it. I'm gonna be thankful because you're still a powerful God is doing this. I think Paul, in fact, thankfulness, I've told you this before, I think is a neglected spiritual discipline. It's one of those things we ought to be doing every single day because I think thankfulness is fuel for the Christian life, right? You will will very, very quickly exhaust perseverance in prayer if you don't keep reminding yourself of what you're thankful for, of what God has done the signs of his activity that you see, right? So we pray constantly, we pray watchfully, we pray thankfully. But then the last thing I want you to see this, we pray missionally. Okay, this is verses three and four, and I want to explain this for a minute. In other words, we pray now for success with the gospel. Okay, I'm praying to God. Now look what Paul does. He, he actually says, okay, and while you're praying this way, I think he means at the same time, I think he's talking about how you're praying this way for, for those around you. Now pray for us also, he says, right? Look at that. At the same time, verse three, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. We'll talk about all this, but look at, I want you to see a few things. First of all, Paul's gonna say, pray for God's plan. This may seem a strange way of saying that, but do you see what he says? He says, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Let me ask you something. Do you think it's God's will that the gospel be preached? Yes. Do you think it's God's will that people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? So why in the world do we pray? Right? If God wills that none should perish but all come to eternal life, why am I praying? If it's God's will that the word of God be preached, why do I need to pray about that? God, you're going to do what you're going to do, right? That's how we think sometimes. Like, why? What's the point of me praying for my family, my coworker, my neighbor, my friend? Why am I praying, God, you're going to do what you're going to do? Why are the Colossians' prayers necessary? God, are you saying you're reluctant to go through some doors or you're not going to open doors or whatever unless we pray? Is it somehow, are we, are we somehow unlocking something that is otherwise locked through our prayers that you don't have the will to do? I don't think that's what's being said at all. But why is prayer necessary in a world where God, as we believe, as I, I believe in the, in, in the marrow of my bones that God is meticulously sovereign in this world? Why in the world would I pray? What difference does it make? Why would God make prayers one of the ways that he governs this world? Well, let's, let's clear up just some, some uh, things we have to say. First of all, does God need me to pray? Does he need my prayers? The answer is no. God can do what he wants to do with or without my prayers. God needs nothing. God is all sufficient. There is nothing that God lacks. In fact, 
just if you want to write it in your margin or if you can quickly turn with me, go over to Psalm 50 and, and listen to how the psalmist uh, talks about this. In Psalm 50, verse 12, here's God talking. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the blood of fle- the, the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? In other words, look, if I'm hungry, you're not going to come bring me something. I'm not going to ask you. I am, I am God. I feed whatever I need. I have. I lack nothing. In fact, he says in, in verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's saying, I own it all. There's nothing you can give me that I don't already possess. This is Romans uh, chapter 11, who, who can know the mind of the Lord, who's been his counselor, who can give a gift to God that he'd be repaid, right? The, 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 I, I own it all. But, but, okay, so why? Why do we pray? Well, if you go down to chapter 50 of Psalm, in Psalm 50 and, and, and look at verse 15, he says, and call upon me in the day of trouble and I'll deliver you and you shall glorify my name. That's why we pray. John Piper says it this way. We pray, call upon me in the day of need and, and I will deliver you and you'll glorify my name. He says, God gets what he deserves we get what we need, right? We get delivered, God gets glory. That's why you pray. You pray, right, so that God is glorified in the answer to your prayer. It's it's, it's me coming to God and God, God, I can't do this thing that you've asked me to do. I am unable. I, I, I have all of this inability and lack. You lack nothing. I'm coming to you and I'm asking and so now God, God showcases his ability. God showcases his power by answering prayer. That's what he's doing. That's what God is after. Why do we pray? So that we get delivered and God gets glorified. Now imagine, I was just talking, Michelle and I were talking to our, our youngest daughter um, yesterday. She's at a camp in, in Texas for the summer and, and uh she was, she was just telling us, she was, was just so, I was just so grateful. She said, there was just these little things that were bothering me and I prayed about them and I just saw God start to come through and answer like this one with this, you know, this other kid that was kind of annoying me, just like little things, right? And, but she said, and God was just gracious to answer. Now, there's glory, isn't it? I got what I asked for, you got what you deserved. Okay, now imagine if I take that one instance of what God does in me and I multiply that to all of us. I multiply that to a crowd. What kind of glory does God get when many of us do this? Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, you also must help us by prayer. So that, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You hear what he says? We all join together. We all, and now we lift up our prayers. I need your prayers. I need the prayers of many. And what's the result of that? We, 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 we get the blessing from God and there's, there's a lot of glory going back to God for that blessing. That's the idea. We, we pray and we pray for God's plan. But then notice what else he says. We, we pray for proclamation, right? Pray for an open door. See this in verse three? At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Okay, now Paul's saying, I want you to pray. Pray for the proclamation of God's word. And I think what he's saying is not, hey, that God would open a door. Maybe I could find myself someplace and they would give me an opportunity to speak and I'd speak. I think that for sure that is. 
But I think what he's saying is pray not for mere opportunities, pray for success. Pray that when that a door opens and there would be success and I can't open these doors myself. Here's Paul, right? Here's Paul saying, I, I need you to pray for me because I can't open these doors. There are so many mechanisms, there are so many resistances, if I can say it that way, to the gospel that I can be confronted with. You and me both, right? Paul, us, all of us. Think of all the things that sort of array themselves against us talking to people about Jesus. There are, there are uh, po there's political op uh, opposition. There's cultural op uh, opposition. Don't, don't you force your belief on me. There's, there's geopolitical, there's educational resistance, there's, there's language barriers, there's, there's calendars, there's all these kind of resistance, there's relational barriers and emotional barriers that we run into all the time. We are faced with these barriers and here's Paul. Paul is the, maybe the greatest missionary that ever lived. Paul is a massive intellect. I mean, he's not the guy that found himself going, I don't have an answer. He's the guy who knows the gospel. He's the guy who wrote most of your New Testament. And here's him saying, I need you to pray for me. Here's a guy who's courageous in persecution, a guy, a guy who's eloquent in presentation. He has it all per se, but he says, I beg you, pray. Because if, if God doesn't open this door, there is nothing that I have in my power to do this. You ever felt like this? That's why I tell you, listen, one of the ways you can feel the closed door is to think of people who are far from God that you're thinking they're lost forever. There is no chance they would ever come to faith. The door seems sealed shut. That's it. Paul looks at what's happening and says, man, this just feels shut to me. I can't open this door. I have no ability to get into the heart of somebody. I'm begging you, please pray. And if he, pray, if you, if he opens it, Paul says, I'll, look what he says, I'll preach the mystery of Christ. I think that's the gospel. Not I'll go in there and I'll try to wow them with my intellect or try to be super eloquent and they'll all like the way I talk. No, I'll go and preach the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I promise I'll do that. But look at this. I am so glad Paul wrote verse four. He says, that I make it, make it clear, right? So pr pray, right? Pr pray pray for, the, for the preaching of the gospel that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I think Paul's maybe thinking in his mind, there are some times when I've done this that I didn't feel like I did it very well the intellectual cobwebs got the best of me. I, 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 I didn't know quite how to articulate. This is the guy that we learned the gospel from in many ways. And he's saying there are times when I feel confused or muddled in my presentation of the gospel. Aren't you so glad the apostle Paul said, you ever felt like this? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to this person about Jesus. And here's Paul saying, look, if God opens the door and if I step through it, if I begin to preach the gospel, please pray. In addition to that, that what I preach is clear. It's unambiguous. People get it. There's understanding. He needed that. Listen, if Paul needs that, how much more do I? Does Lucas, does Chris Gannon, does Brian, the people who teach children every single week, 
How much more do we need that? Can I say something? I beg you, I beg you that you would pray for me. I beg you that you would pray for us. I beg that you would pray for our children's teachers. I beg that you would pray for those who are teaching our youth on Wednesday nights that that, that God would open a door for the gospel and that when we speak and we step through that door, we would make it clear which is how we ought to speak. Because the truth of the matter is, man, I, I think I said, I'm so glad Paul said that. Because I'm like, man, I feel the same way. Am I clear? Is this, is this getting muddled? Are people confused? See, don't you need this for yourself? Okay, God, I've prayed for this person. There seems to be an opening here for the gospel. I'm stepping through. Now, please help me to be clear. Not to run off on these tent, just to be clear. That's what Paul's doing, Right? We pray. We pray constantly, watchfully, thankfully, missionally. We pray for God's plan. We pray for God's for proclamation. But then I skipped over something. Look at verse 3. Here's Paul's prayers from prison. Did you see that? He just sort of mentioned it in passing almost so fast you wouldn't really notice it or think it's not that big a deal. He says, pray that I, you know, open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So here's Paul going, I want an open door for the gospel, but I'm not asking you to pray that for me. That's unbelievable to me. Paul is behind bars. Paul, you would think, right? I know what I would do. Oh, and while you're praying, would you please pray I get out of here? Because I feel like I'd be a much better missionary outside than inside. Right? Isn't that how we'd feel? There's no complaint. There's no whining. There's no like, I think God is punishing me. God must be angry. That's why I'm behind bars. No, Paul looks and goes, this, I, am, I am here. I'm in prison, in, in prison because I have faithfully preached the gospel. That's why I've landed here. And I could do so much better, but he never says that. Can I just make three observations about this? Here's Paul praying from prison. And, and what that says to us about our faith and about suffering. I think there's three things I want you to see. Number one, God never promises to protect you from pain or injustice or persecution. Do, do we know that Western American Christians who are relatively comfortable God never, there is no place in your Bible where outside of going to heaven, he says you will be free from pain, injustice, and persecution. Nowhere. It's going to say quite the opposite. And this is what I love. The Christian faith is so honest with you. Jesus is going to say, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. Okay, what does he promise? I've overcome the world. What does he promise? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be with you in the midst of everything. I'll be an anchor in the storm. I'll be a presence when it feels like everybody else has abandoned you. I'm with you. Never leave you, never forsake you. The second thing is, is that what often we see as defeat, say jail, (laughs) right? God uses for victory. In fact, if you were to just turn back, you're in Colossians, you could go back to just the beginning of Philippians. It's the next book back. 
And listen to what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, this is chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's Paul's view of being in jail. This is incredible. Now watch this. We just read verse 21. We told you to greet everybody. Go back to chapter 4 of Philippians and look at verse 21 with me. Here's Paul. I'm about to end my letter. I'm in jail. I'm writing this from jail. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Look at this. Look at this. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This is Paul saying, like... (laughs) I'm in prison and there are people who have come to faith because I'm here behind bars. People in power who have come to faith because they heard I'm here for Jesus Christ. And they had to know more. People inside Caesar's household. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ now. The very thing, right? Aren't we so quick? I know I am, right? I get a flat on my tire. God, why? What did I do wrong? Right? How, how is it you would allow your faithful servant to suffer so horribly? Right? A hangnail and I'm just, you know, whatever. Here's Paul in prison. Never, like, no, no sense of, of, of whining or complaining or, or thinking that somehow this is God's punishment but looking and saying, this is an instrument in God's hands. And if this is where God wants me, he's got me right where he wants me. That's amazing. But, but lastly, here's the third thing I want you to see about him in prison. It's that you, you may suffer, Christian, for being faithful. Like very few of us are going to suffer the way Paul suffered, okay? But a lot of you, a lot of you will suffer for being faithful to Jesus, for following the rule of Christ. I just talked to somebody last week who said to me, who said, I always wonder if this is gonna be the year when I get fired because of just being faithful to Jesus. Maybe this is the year that you won't get a promotion because you're faithful to Jesus. Maybe this is the year um, that you'll, be, you'll lose some friendships. Maybe this is the year when some of the business deals that you're hoping would go through will not go through. I don't know. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying, I'm saying this happens to believers in Jesus. If they hated you, they'll hate me. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But what's the answer? Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Listen, if this life is all there is, pain and injustice and persecution would lead me into utter despair. Right? Christian, it's not all there is, is it? I literally was talking to somebody in between services whose daughter was just diagnosed with the most horrific disease I can imagine, describing to me all this stuff. And I'm just listening to him. And then he says, but this life isn't all there is. There's more. We may go through horrible pain, but Jesus has overcome the world. Now, let's keep going, because I, I want you to see now, look at, look at, look at what happens. 
Paul says he's going to pray for a proclamation. He prays from prison, all these things we may suffer. So this is how we speak to God about people, right? We go to God first. That's our first priority. But then the second thing is we speak to people about God, right? That, that now, now Paul transitions in verses 5 and 6, right? Now, now here's how you go about speaking to people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and all of these other places you find yourself. You, you've got this list of five people, six people, one person on your list and going, man, how is it now that I relate to them? And here's what I think Paul's doing. He's saying, look, if this is going to happen, if the, if the gospel's going to get a hearing and you're going to be able to open your mouth, then there's a few things you need to do. Okay, so let's look at this. Number one, you must be wise in the world. Look at verse five. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders being those who not, have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, not part of the church, making the best use of the time. Okay, so the first thing we do is in our conduct. If I'm gonna get a hearing for the claims of Jesus, then the first thing I must do when I step outside my home and I'm not in that sphere is I need to live my faith out publicly. And I need to walk in wisdom in this difficult, strange, complex world, right? Because sometimes I don't know what to do. I don't know what wisdom looks like. Well, so so what, what is wisdom? John Piper, I love this definition that John Piper gives. Look at this. He says, wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God when the rule book runs out. Right? When you can look at your Bible and go, I don't see a clear answer. It's knowing how to become all things to all men without compromising holiness and truth. It is creativity and tact and thoughtfulness. It's having a feel for the moment and having an eye for what people need and want. Now, just keep that there. Does that seem impossible to you? Who, who in the world behaves like that? Christian, here is the great news. If that's wisdom, and I believe it is, Here's what your Bible says. I talked to the staff this week about this. If you ask me my favorite verse in the Bible or do I have a life verse, I don't, I don't know that I have a life verse. You know, it's all good. I'm not going to claim something from the, you know, the bodily fluid discharge of Leviticus is my favorite <laughs> passage. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all good. It's all good. But if I were to take you to one place, I don't know that I'd tell you it's my favorite. I would say it's the most used in my life. It's James 1.5. Do any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God, and he gives generously and without reproach. And what always stuns me about that is that that is a guaranteed answered prayer. You thought about that? I don't know how to relate to this complex world I find myself in. I don't know how to answer this conversation. I don't know what to do right now. God, give me wisdom. Please help me. Help me to know what to do in these circumstances. In fact, if you go to, over to Proverbs chapter 8 and 9, it talks about how wisdom is in the street. She crawls out from the public square. It's not hidden. This isn't some secret society where we sort of, you know, we, we know the secret answers to things. No, there's wisdom standing there going, whoever's simple, turn in here. Man, I'll give it to you. Cry out for wisdom. James 1.5, if you lack it, ask of me and I'll give it to you. And I won't just give it to you in little teaspoonfuls. I'll give it generously and without reproach. Christian, that ought to be a prayer you pray a thousand times a week. God, give me wisdom. I don't have it, right? I don't have it. That's why it's the most used verse in my life because I feel like I have no wisdom without, apart from Christ. So, so, so this is available. We can walk in wisdom. And Paul says what wisdom looks like sometimes is making the best use of the time. You see that in verse 5? 
What he means there is literally the, the Greek says to buy up time. Right? We, 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 we scramble for it. Every opportunity that God gives us, we look and say, this conversation, this encounter has the potential for the gospel. So I admire my wife and my in-laws and people like them who walk through the Vons or, you know, they're at some, you know, Walmart counter and they're just like, how are you? And they're asking and like, maybe I'm going to hear something that clues me into the gospel. I'm usually like, beep, beep, I'm done, right? <laughs> like, what if, what if that, I'm not saying, they, they, they don't always talk about the gospel, but what if their posture was one, especially, by the way, especially with those people that you're praying for by name? God, I've prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them. Now an opportunity seems to be open for me. Seize the moment. Take the opportunity, right? So, so okay, we, we, we walk in wisdom. We see every encounter. Okay, that's the first thing. If I'm going to have a hearing for the gospel, I've got to walk in wisdom. Number two, I've got to be gracious in speech. You said in verse six. Verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I think the whole idea behind the pairing of gracious and seasoned with salt is the idea of it being winsome and helpful. It is kind without compromise. It is truth with, with, with love, right? And so I, I want to I speak it, but I want to speak in a way that it gets me a hearing, I want to be gracious in how I talk to people, winsome in how I talk to people. One of my professors, Howard Hendricks in, in school, uh, used to use the well-worn uh, phrase, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And then he would add usually something like this, but you can salt the oats. You understand what he was saying? If you salt the oats and they eat, then they go to the water and they're thirsty. Christian, one of the things we can do is salt the oats. And we salt it through a winsome, gracious speaking. Are you winsome? Are you gracious in how you speak to people? Are you thoughtful? Online and offline? Right? Would people say that? What would they say of you? Well, I, I understand what he's saying is true. It's not what he says, what she says, it's how she says it. And how many of us lose a hearing for the gospel because we simply are not gracious, seasoned with salt? But then look at this. So we're gracious in speech. We're wise in the world, we're gracious in speech, but then look at the final thing. We're ready to answer. Okay, look at here. Here's my contention. Verses two through five all the way to the end are building to this one point. I want people to know Jesus. And Lord, if you'll use me in that, then, then, then let it be. But how do I get there? I pray to God about men, and now I, 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 I speak to men about God. I pray to God about women, about children, but then I, I turn my attention and say, I want to get a hearing with them. How do I do that? I'm, I'm wise in the world. I'm gracious in speech, and now I'm ready to answer. See, this is where it's all leading. Do all of these things so that when the moment comes, you know how to answer. Now, can I say something? And this might feel controversial to you. Um, Paul was called to speak. Okay. Um, preachers 
are in many ways called to, to directly confront and preach and evangelize, if you will, most people, most Christians are not called to this. Most of you are simply called to respond, to answer. And notice this, not what to answer, how to answer. I heard something this week that I found really fascinating. They said this, uh, if, you, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus was asked 200 questions, okay? Just go through if you recorded them all, somewhere around 200 questions. He responded directly to eight of them. Isn't that interesting? Jesus asked 300 questions. Does that tell you something about our response? Jesus didn't feel the need to answer every single question. Jesus very often heard the question, then got under the question with another question to find out where their heart was. What are you really asking? What's really going on in there? Because, man, I want to answer this, but I want to answer it prudently, wisely. And then God opens a door and gives me the chance to speak. Okay, so now I want to know how I should answer. You see what I mean when I say this isn't, look, some of you are called to, I don't know, I, I don't want to make this sound um, negative. Some of you are called to that kind of direct evangelism. Go knock on a stranger's door, go down to the beach and Ray comfort them. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, most of you would go that, that like, I, 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 I'd rather die. Like, I, I, I can't imagine doing any of that. Okay, because I don't think, I think most of us, that's, it's not that you're evil or sinful. Maybe it is. I didn't know. I needed some questions to ask. That's great. But hear me. Most of you in this room became Christians not because you got evangelized at a beach. You became a Christian because somebody close to you, for all you know, prayed for you. And then God opened a door and then they stepped through it and they told you the gospel and you believed. This is why I'm saying this is way more simple than we make it out to. We, we speak to God about people and then and only then do we speak to people, with two people about God? What do we do, right? I'm going, man, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to ask for open doors, right? I'm going to, I'm going to then turn and go, okay, I'm, I'm awake. I'm watchful. I'm seeing signs of these things. I'm going to conduct myself with wisdom. God, please give me wisdom in each of these situations. I'm going to be gracious in how I speak to them. And then when God opens the door, man, Lord, help me to be clear, which is how I ought to speak, that they could hear the gospel. And I bet you, I bet you 90% of us in this room came to faith through something like that. Some sort of scheme that looked similar to that, right? Because this is how God works. He works in relational networks. Can I give you some homework, Foothill Church? I'm serious about this now. What, what, what if for the summer, what if you just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a list of people that I know personally I'm not asking you to think about missionaries in far-flung areas. I'm asking people that you encounter, neighbors, friends, family, coworkers. I'm going to pray for them by name. And I'm going to pray and never give up. 
and I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to talk to God about them. And then when I walk and I encounter them, I want to be wise, I want to be gracious, and I want to be prepared to give an answer. What might God do? If we really said, I'm going to pray by name for people like this, what kind of doors might God open for the sake of the gospel? See what I mean? This isn't an evangelism program. This is us just being Christians in the world. <laughs> this is us just walking out and going, I can do this. I can, I can respond. Are you kidding me? I don't have to give them a tract. I don't have to do all these. No, just, just be prepared to answer. Be prepared to answer. Because they're all prayed up, as they used to say. And now God has made them ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I, uh, I just think right now, Lord, of even the names that have come to mind in this room in, in the last several minutes. And I pray, Lord, we, we, would be, we would be faithful. You would renew our belief in the power of prayer and in the power of the gospel, that there is nobody that might show up on that list that is too far gone. There is nobody that should be written off. Even those who would say, I utterly reject Christ. Even those who say, I'm an atheist. Even those who are utterly apathetic towards the things of God. Father, you call into existence things that do not exist. You open doors that are forever shut to us. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that you would do that. As your people, as we call upon you, will you deliver us that we might glorify your name? Open doors, we pray. We love you, we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.